Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. And we're talking about law. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer in the Commonwealth of Virginia to better strengthen and serve your communities? Today and next episode, we're going to talk about DUI. Um, this was a topic that someone asked me to talk about recently, and it got me to think about how, you know, DUI is one of those fundamental things that almost all law enforcement officers do. We make stops for DUI, we make arrests for DUI all the time. And even if you don't do DUI, today's episode and next week's episode, I think, are going to be really helpful for us to talk about two even more fundamental concepts, and that is reasonable suspicion for a stop and probable cause for an arrest. Because as it turns out, you know, when we talk about DUI, fundamentally, the, the questions, the challenges that come up in DUI trials all the time really come down to, was there reasonable suspicion for the stop? Was there a lawful basis for the stop? And then if there was, was there a lawful basis for the arrest? Uh, if we're trying a refusal case, then the question is always going to be, was there probable cause for the arrest, right? But also start with, was there reasonable position for the stop? And a defense attorney in any DUI case, right, that's the first thing they're going to look for. Was there a lawful basis for the stop? And then if there was a stop, was there a lawful basis for the arrest? And you can try, you know, one case a year. You could do 10 DUIs a year. You could do, I knew officers who do, you know, 150 or 200 DUIs a year. And I guarantee that no matter how many you do, it, you know, the DUIs over and over again always come down to these two questions. So today's episode, we're going to focus on reasonable suspicion, a basis, a lawful basis for a stop. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about probable cause for arrest in DUI cases. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, but I don't really do DUI cases, I encourage you to stick around anyway. Especially today's episode, we're going to talk about reasonable suspicion, and we're going to talk about not just stops for DUI, but stops for, you know, lookouts for robbery suspects, because uh, it turns out that that's a really relevant and interesting issue as well. These questions came to me because, again, somebody recently asked me about them, but also because there were two recent cases from the Court of Appeals. There was a case uh, out of Virginia Beach, uh, September 27th called Galvante versus Commonwealth. That's a Fourth Amendment motion to suppress in a DUI case. That's a challenge to the stop for a DUI. And then there was a case um, that was earlier this year called Ibanez versus Commonwealth. That was in January 2022, but it was still earlier this year, talking about <clears throat> probable cause and admission of the certificate of analysis. And they were both, I think, really good examples of the kinds of issues that we're going to talk about. So next week, we'll talk about Ibanez. This week, though, I want to talk about Galvante, and I want to talk about what it says about stops for DUIs and reasonable suspicion stops generally uh, in the Commonwealth. So what happens in Galvante is uh, there's a defendant, he's got prior convictions for DUI, his license is revoked due to DUI, and he's driving intoxicated. He's intoxicated and he's out. And a citizen, noticing he's intoxicated, noticing he's not, he's not no business to, uh, to be driving, tries to say, hey, look, man, don't, you know, don't get in the car. I'll call you an Uber, tries to call him an Uber, um, but the defendant refuses it. And so the citizen says, well, now I got to stop him. I got to go uh, find the police. 
So the citizen goes to a police vehicle that's nearby and starts flashing his lights, gets the attention of the police officers and says, hey, look, that guy's about to go drive off drunk. Um, they can see the guy getting into a nearby parked car. And he says, that guy has just been drinking at this bar across the street. And he points to the bar and the bar's right there and says, that guy shouldn't be driving. And so at that point, the officers get out of their car. They walk up to the defendant's car and they say, hey, can we talk to you? They say, we got a complaint that you've had too much to drink and you shouldn't be driving. They can smell the odor of alcohol and they begin a DUI field investigation. So the issue in the case is, do the officers have a lawful basis to, to stop, to detain the defendant and conduct an investigation? Sure, it starts out being consensual when they walk up and just have a conversation with him, but pretty soon they're ordering him to do field sobriety tests and so on. He's definitely not free to leave at that point. And so the officers obviously have to you know, provide a lawful Fourth Amendment basis to, uh, to stop him. So it starts out with this basic question, right? Do the officers have a lawful basis to stop this person? And so often, and it's interesting to me that, <coughs> that this still comes up to this day in court. I see this all over, the all over the place. Defense attorneys will get up and say, judge, I object. There was no probable cause for the stop. And that's not the standard, right? And we know that. People who are frequent listeners to the podcast know that. But it's interesting to me that to this day, judges, defense attorneys, even prosecutors get themselves mixed up and will think, oh, the officers need probable cause to conduct a stop. And they don't. All that they need is reasonable, articulable suspicion. Now, of course, reasonable suspicion of what? Right here, it's reasonable suspicion of being uh, under the influence of alcohol while driving a motor vehicle. And here again, I think it's really important for us to understand the fundamentals of uh, what the law is that we're looking at. DUI is the word that we use to describe this offense, driving while under the influence or driving while intoxicated. But the code section is very specific what was required, and it doesn't require us to prove alcohol intoxication. It doesn't require us to prove that somebody is drunk while they're driving. The only thing it requires regarding alcohol is that we prove that the person is under the influence of alcohol. Somehow they're under the influence, right? Now, when we talk about drugs, it's different, right? With drugs, then the person has to be under the influence of a narcotic drug or other administered intoxicant to a degree which impairs his ability to drive or operate a motor vehicle. Or you're, you're under the combined influence of alcohol and a drug, again, which impairs your ability to drive. So impaired driving is an element of the offense of being under the influence of a drug. But when it comes to alcohol, if you operate a motor vehicle while you're under the influence of alcohol, you're guilty of 18.226, which is a criminal offense. So if you're investigating this, if you're looking at okay, do I have reasonable suspicion to believe that this person is operating a motor vehicle and they are under the influence of alcohol, then I can stop that person, briefly detain them, uh, question them, and confirm or dispel my suspicion that they are operating a motor vehicle uh, while under the influence of alcohol. And under the influence is not a very high standard, right? It's actually defined in the code. It's defined in the law. It's I have drunk or consumed enough alcoholic beverages 
to somehow affect my manner, disposition, speech, muscular movement, general appearance, or behavior as to be apparent to observation. That's what the code says. That's what it means to be under the influence of alcohol. Not that I'm intoxicated, not that I'm impaired, not that I'm drunk, but I'm operating a motor vehicle under the influence. The alcohol has somehow affected my manner, disposition, speech, muscular movement, general appearance, or behavior to be apparent to observation. So we'll talk about this when we talk about the probable cause uh, next week. But again, uh, for now, that's all that I have to have reasonable suspicion of in order to conduct my DUI investigation. So of course, why do you drink alcohol, right? You drink it so it affects you. That's the whole point of consuming alcohol. If it affects your manner, it affects your disposition, your speech, your muscular movement, and so on. So here, getting back to the case from Virginia Beach, uh, which is the um, Galvante case, <clears throat> the question is, do the officers, based upon this citizen report that this person is, uh, is, is, is consumed too much alcohol to drive his vehicle, does that provide reasonable suspicion to stop him? And the court says, yes, that is reasonable suspicion to stop him for suspected DUI. The court concludes under the totality of the circumstances that the tip, even though the officers don't know who this citizen is, they don't get his name, they don't get his address, they don't get his phone number, the fact that he comes forward and is willing to talk to the police face to face, and he's doing so right outside the bar, and he's pointing to the bar, and he's saying right in there, that's where the person was intoxicated, and that guy right over there I'm pointing at, that guy is intoxicated. That's enough to provide reasonable suspicion to stop and investigate him for DUI. And the court likens this case to a case called Navarrete versus California. Now, Navarrete is a really influential, significant case when we talk about DUI law. Uh, Navarrete is a case from 2014, and it is a case from the U.S. Supreme Court where an anonymous 911 call was made. Uh, somebody called they called the 911 system and they didn't give their name, they didn't give their address, they didn't give their phone number, all that kind of stuff. They called up and they just said, hey, this car almost ran me off the road. Here's where I am. I'm on this highway. I'm in this location. Here's the license plate number. Here's the direction of travel of the other vehicle. And they're on a highway. So five minutes later, five miles later, officers locate the vehicle, matches the description, matches the license plate, matches the direction of travel. It's exactly where it was supposed to be. The officers watch the car for about five minutes. They don't observe any problem driving and they pull it over. And the case goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and the court looks at that and says, is that reasonable suspicion, that, that call to 911? Now, I think a lot of you in your jurisdictions probably have judges who will say, oh, I'm not going to let you pull over. Or I'm not going to approve of a stop for, for pulling over somebody who only weaves one time or two times within their lane. That's not enough of a basis to stop someone. Well, here we have one weave, right? We have one person weaving one time and then driving perfectly fine after that. Now, I think a lot of judges would suppress that evidence, would say that's not enough driving behavior to stop a vehicle for suspicion of DUI. But the U.S. Supreme Court in this case said, yeah, that's enough reason to stop someone for DUI because reasonable suspicion is a very low standard. The court here says 
the 911 caller wasn't really anonymous at all. We all know that if we call 911, we can be traced, we can be tracked down. And so this caller had to know that they could be held responsible if they gave a false call. So the court said this is not really anonymous. This is semi-anonymous. We know something about them. They don't, we're not totally known to them. They're not given a complete level of reliability like a named citizen would. But the citizen gets a higher level of reliability. The same kind of reliability the court gives the, the citizen in Galvante, who we don't know who it is. We have still to this day have no idea who it is who pointed out the drunk driver in Galvante, the case from Virginia Beach. But we know they were willing to, to tell the police face to face, hey, this person's intoxicated. They're about to drive away. So in Navarrete, the court here says the 911 caller reported more than a minor traffic infraction and more than a conclusory allegation of drunk or reckless driving. She alleged a specific and dangerous result of the driver's conduct, running another car off the highway. And that conduct bears too great a resemblance to the paradigmatic manifestations of drunk driving to be dismissed as an isolated example of recklessness. So notice here, again, it's not just weaving, right? I mean, the guy in Navarrete almost runs the victim completely off the road. Uh, but that one incident is enough to stop Mr. Navarrete for uh, driving under the influence in the eyes of the U.S. Supreme Court. So getting back to the Galvante case, the court has no problem analogizing Galvante's case to Navarrete and saying here officers could reasonably infer that the informant's claim that the defendant was intoxicated was based on his personal observation of the defendant. And again, he's near the bar, he's near the vehicle, uh, the informant was making a contemporaneous tip that provides the officers with reasonable suspicion to conduct a stop and investigation. And again, you see this over and over again. The courts are not setting a standard of probable cause to conduct a stop in a DUI field investigation. That don't let a defense attorney make that argument that you need probable cause to do that field investigation. You need reasonable suspicion. Uh, and so somebody stopping at a stoplight for six or seven seconds after it turns green with no apparent reason for delay, in Joyce versus Commonwealth, which is a 2020 case from the Court of Appeals, the court again said that was a lawful basis to stop someone for DUI. Is it more likely than not that the person was intoxicated? No, that's not the standard. Uh, was there probable cause to believe the person was intoxicated sitting at a stoplight for six to seven seconds? Hmm, no, but that's not the standard. Was there reasonable suspicion to believe that sitting at the stoplight for six to seven seconds after it's turned green with no apparent reason was a basis for DUI? Yeah, there was reasonable suspicion. Um, you know, uh, in Lee versus Commonwealth, which is a case from 1994, an officer responds to a 7-Eleven for a disorderly intoxicated subject. And when he gets there, he sees the defendant driving out and the store security guard says, that guy's been disorderly, that guy's been out of control, that guy's been drinking. And the court says, plenty of reason. That's plenty of reasonable position to stop somebody. The officer sees no driving behavior here. But all I need is reasonable suspicion to believe he's operating a motor vehicle while under the influence of alcohol. <clears throat> In Giles versus Commonwealth, uh, again, we have two women here, unidentified, we don't know who they are, but just like in Galvante, they come up to the police and they say, hey, that guy is driving while intoxicated, he's driving in this vehicle, you need to stop him. And the officers again say, well, these, you've got, the court here again says, you have two people who corroborate one another. We don't know who they are, uh, but they're willing to say face to face to the police that they are seeing an, a, a criminal offense and that's a lawful basis for a stop.
Now, I said before, this isn't just about DUI. This is about the whole idea of reasonable suspicion generally. And when I was getting ready to, to post this episode today, I saw a comment online from an officer who had a question. Uh, and he said, you know, his question is, uh, in my department, we distribute bolos, be on the lookout for alerts every day. And I've heard from officers and detectives that when I find someone from a bolo, that I should treat that interaction as consensual. The bolos could be from robbery or indecent exposure, assault or whatever. Is there case law related to bolos to be on the lookout alerts? I've been treating them like stops, but I would like a second opinion. So this is a great question. And really, when I saw this, I said, wow, this is exactly what I'm talking about today. You have, again, if you're conducting a stop, a standard you have to meet, reasonable suspicion. Is there reasonable, articulable suspicion to believe that this person is involved in some kind of, is involved or has been involved in some kind of criminal offense. And so in answer to your questions, yeah, actually in the last couple of years, there's been a couple of cases involving bolos. And I want to start out by saying, you know, no, these are not, if you're making these stops, you're probably not making them as consensual encounters. You are activating light sirens, you're bringing this vehicle to a stop. And if it's be on the lookout for a robbery, you might be making a pretty, uh, serious high-level stop, but it's still a f under the Fourth Amendment an investigative detention. So the first example I want to bring up of this is a case called Roberts versus Commonwealth. This is a case from 2017 from the city of Richmond, and uh, the question you asked was about robbery stops. Well, that's a this is a, a bolo for robbery. This is a case where an officer saw a defendant and thought he strongly resembled a suspect in a robbery that had just taken place in the early evening nearby. Now, the officer himself hadn't seen the robbery. He had just received the bolo, the be on the lookout. So when he saw the defendant, he said, well, you know, he looks where the defendant is. He's in a, split, he's in a motel parking lot. There's a lot of no trespassing signs. He thought, well, you know, maybe the guy's trespassing. He shouldn't be there. And so he watched the defendant knock on the door, knock on a motel room door. There's no answer. So he walked up to the defendant and he said, hey, do you have any ID on you? No, I don't have any ID. Are you staying at the motel? No. He continues to talk to him. The defendant takes off running. The officer chases after him. And the court here says, okay, walking up to him and having a conversation with him, obviously that's a consensual encounter. But when the suspect decided to take off running, at that point, the question is, does the officer have reasonable suspicion to detain him? And the court says, absolutely. Here, not necessarily just because of the trespassing or the running away, but because here the officer had reasonable suspicion to investigate whether the suspect in this case was the robbery suspect. The court here made clear that if a person matches the physical, physical description of a criminal suspect, that gives law enforcement the reasonable suspicion to effect an investigatory stop of that individual. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he has reasonable suspicion to investigate the trespassing call, and he takes off running and so on. Uh, what's interesting, too, is when he takes off running, the officer chases after him. He grabs him and, and puts him in handcuffs. Here, the defendant says, oh, well, now you've transformed it simply from an investigative detention to an arrest because you put handcuffs on me. And, you know, I agree when we talk about Miranda, when you put handcuffs on somebody, you should be reading someone their Miranda warnings. But in this case, the court says, look, just putting on handcuffs somebody on somebody doesn't necessarily turn that encounter into an arrest for legal purposes. And so here, the officer didn't need probable cause to put handcuffs on the suspect. 
the use of the handcuffs was reasonable, obviously because the suspect had fled the scene and he was investigating a robbery. But that was, in the eyes of the court, still a lawful detention. So that's the Roberts case. And then a year later, we have another case also about bolos, about be on the lookout. And this is Bonilla versus Commonwealth. This is a 2018 case from the city of Alexandria. And this is a case where the defendant, another man, robbed a man on the street at night at gunpoint. <clears throat> the victim called the police and he gave a description of his attackers. He said, the men who attacked me were two Hispanic males. They were wearing a black shirt and black hat. And he gave the direction of travel. Then an officer responded to the area based on this bolo. And he sees two Hispanic men walking away from the area along the same direction of travel. They're the only two people in the area. Uh, and the officer said, noticed also that he, they were in an area where most of the people in the area who lived there were either white or black and that Hispanic residents tended to live in another area in the city. The officer ordered the men to stop. Uh, he, had, he had a canine unit with him. He, ordered, he, off, he said, if you don't stop, I'm going to release the dog. Um, they complied. That, well, one of them complied, and then the other guy ran away. The op officer captured the defendant in this case, who is Bonilla, and again put him in handcuffs. The, uh, Mr. Bonilla confessed to the robbery, and again, he, the defendant moves to suppress the evidence. Here again, the court is, is, uh, has to answer the question, was there reasonable suspicion for the stop? And the answer from the court, just like in the Roberts case from the year before, was yes. Under these facts, sure, there was potentially an innocent explanation. But the officer here met that standard of reasonable suspicion that these two people may have been involved in a robbery. Now, we're not just stopping them based on their race. We don't stop people based on race. That is not an appropriate reason to stop people. Uh, that can't be the only reason why we stop people. And it's interesting in this case, neither of these men were wearing the clothes described by the victim. But the court here says, well, sure, but people discard their clothes all the time after committing robberies. <coughs> the court here said, again, you have two men, just like the call, they're walking away from the area of the robbery, just like the call. They're in the area where the robbery just place, took place, just like the call. And they're in a space where the officer felt like it's a little unusual that these two guys would be in this area at this time of night. So all those factors together in the eyes of the court was a basis, a, a, a reasonable basis to stop these two individuals. So again, notice you have this BOLO, be on the lookout uh, uh, call leading to reasonable suspicion, a lawful basis to briefly detain someone uh, for a brief period of time in order to question them, investigate, and confirm or dispel your suspicion of criminal activity. Was it more likely than not that these two people were involved in the robbery? Doesn't matter. It's not the standard. Was there a probable cause to believe they were involved in the robbery? Probably not. No, but again, it doesn't matter. It's not the standard. Was there reasonable suspicion to believe they were involved in the robbery? Oh, yeah, definitely there was. And again, that's a standard, and so the stop was lawful. So in answer to your question, yeah, if you have a sufficiently detailed be on the lookout, uh, that be on the lookout can be a lawful basis to stop someone. Now, be careful, right? Uh, the be on the lookout can't just be for, you know, I'm going to stop him because of his race. Or uh, with a vehicle, be on the lookout for a gold Nissan Maxima. Okay, I'm just going to stop any gold Nissan Maxima anytime I want to. Here in these cases, you have people who are matching several different factors here. 
Uh, and there was a case where, you know, there's a be on a lookout for gold Misan Maxima involved in drug activity. And so the officer sees a gold Misan Maxima and stops the, ve- the, the, the vehicle. And the court says, that's, that's not reasonable suspicion. That's just finding a car that looks like the vehicle. You haven't given me anything to believe that that's the vehicle that was given in the bolo. There's not sufficient, there's not an, enough detail to that, uh, to that lookout and there's not enough detail to that stop to be sufficient to stop the vehicle. And the same thing with people, right? We're not just stopping people based on race or, or for that matter, you know, the clothes they wear unless they're sufficiently idiosyncratic or su- sufficiently um, odd. But that's the first barrier that we got to come up, we got to overcome in DUIs, right? And then from there, we need to be able to establish probable cause to make an arrest. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. So in the next episode, if you stay tuned, uh, we're going to talk about probable cause to make DUI arrests. uh, And then the requirement that that you make probable cause, how that can give you, obviously gets you to implied consent. And if the person doesn't agree to take a breath test or a blood test, you get refusal and so on. But that's all for next episode. So for now, I hope today was interesting start of this conversation. Uh, DUI is really, you know, a crucial thing that we do. Uh, and I know some of you don't, not everybody does DUI cases. You might do something else. I mean, for me, DUI is homicide prevention. It's one of the most important things that you do as law enforcement officers. It's, it's it, you never get to find out the effect of your DUI stops and your DUI arrests. You never get to meet the families of the children and the, and the, and the, and the loved ones who aren't killed in those crashes. You never get to see any of those results. Uh, and that's good, right? That's what we want. We want a world where we don't lose so many people. It's uh, it's maddening how many people a year we lose. It pales in comparison to, you know, uh, gun violence or domestic violence, murder, homicide. I mean, the, the DUI homicides we have in this country just uh, blow those numbers away, and it's shocking. And and so uh, so so to those of you who take these cases seriously and want to learn how to do them better, thank you for what you do because it's so important. Uh, to our society. It's so important to the safety of everyone in our community. And it is difficult work. These cases are very hard to prove, I know. Uh, but you do uh, you do good work, and I hopefully we can make them better. So next week, we'll talk about probable cause and arrest and so on. For today, though, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Um, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher Podcasts. We're on um, uh, Apple Podcasts. If SoundCloud doesn't require an app, it just is a website, you can go there and so on. Uh, If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. And like I said, next week we'll talk about probable cause for arrest in DUIs. But thanks for that. Take care and be safe. Don't get captured.